Good morning. Good morning. That's good. That's good. Good morning. Uh, I'm just, I'm really excited about this morning's word. So before we go to Revelation chapter 4, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 5, let me just remind you of what happened last week because we got a picture of heaven. And it came from Revelation chapter 4. And in this picture, the first thing that, that we noticed is the doors open. The doors open. Heaven is open for business. Heaven is open for access. The spiritual realms have been opened because Jesus has opened it for us. So the door was open and we saw God seated on a throne. He's in control of this world. He's in control of all the policies, the politics, uh, the COVIDs of this world. He's in control of the church. He's on his throne. And round his throne, we are represented in heaven by 24 elders. 24, 12 plus 12, it's very easy. 12 uh, tribes of Israel, 12 apostles of the Lamb, the old covenant church of God, the new covenant church of God, and they're seated round the throne uh, on thrones themselves. Four living creatures representing all of creation. One looks like a man, one looks like an ox representing the domestic animals, one looks like a lion representing the wild animals, one looks like an eagle representing the bird kingdom. And we might say, why is there not a mackerel or a haddock representing the fish? Well, that's just because there isn't. Okay, it's that simple. There isn't. But the, the living creatures are, are representing the whole of the created order, both physical and spiritual, because they're also like the cherubim and the seraphim, those spiritual beings. So they're all round the throne and they're all worshipping and they're all giving thanks to God. And it's amazing, except there's no Jesus. There's the sevenfold spirit of God in front of the one who is seated on the throne. But there's been no mention made of Jesus. And so you're thinking, where is he? Where is Jesus? Well, it's not that he's missing. It's just we haven't seen him yet. And we're going to see him now. So Revelation chapter 5. And as always... We're going to read the whole of the text. We're going to read the whole of the chapter. We're not going to deal with the whole of the chapter. We will deal with it in Digging Deeper this coming Thursday. You can find that on Harvest Church Croydon YouTube. But we're going to read the whole of the chapter. And remember, if I read this, Revelation says, I will be blessed. That's why I'm reading it. And you're not, because I want the blessing. <laughs> whoever reads this will be blessed. And whoever hears it will be blessed. So there's a blessing here. Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed 
with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth. And by under the earth, I think of Hades, the place of the, uh, the departed, the place where our soul spirits uh, dwell until God comes back again. Jesus comes back a bit. It's like the waiting room of God. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders, that's one of the 24 sitting on the thrones around the throne. One of the elders said to me, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the corner, standing in the center, not the corner, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Then I looked. And heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. God, heavens, it's heating up, isn't it? It's hotting up. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. 
Wow. Wow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, uh, this book is revealing certain principles, certain truths to a church that is being persecuted, a church that's under pressure, a church that's hurting. And it would be kind of understandable if this book had started by saying, listen, don't worry, here's what's going to happen to you. Here's how it's all going to pan out and um, be encouraged. But right at the beginning of this book, the principal message is this. Hey, I know you're in trouble. But can you just get your heads higher? Can you just take your eyes for a moment off the trouble? And can you just have a look at what is really the case? And uh, I, I think I said this in, in Digging Deeper, but it reminds me of the Lord's Prayer because I've already recorded that. <laughs> it says in the Lord's Prayer, before give us today our daily bread, our Father who's in heaven. See, when you get there in your prayers first, when you start your prayers, here's a little tip. Don't start your prayers with supplication. Don't start your prayers with intercession. Start your prayers with worship. So here I'm going to pray for Stoyan because he's sick. And my prayer is going to be, Father, I pray that you will heal Stoyan. No, I'm not going to pray that first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are almighty, sovereign God. We thank you, Father, that you are the healer. You are the one who can do above and beyond anything we can ask or think. We thank you, Father, that you are seated on your throne. And so we come to you on behalf of our sick brother. Do you see? We've lifted it to a higher level. If we just pray, Father, would you heal him? It's a little bit, it's not so far away from people in the world just saying, well, we wish you all the best, Stoyan. Wish good luck to you. Hope you get better. Keep taking the tablets. No, we, we go to God, our Father who's in heaven. So that's why Revelation 4 and 5 is there. We'll get into opening the seals next week. Don't weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. See, can you see the lion? The lion of Judah. Now what's, what's he getting at? What's the root in this phrase, the lion of Judah? Well, you'd have to go back to Genesis chapter 49 and verse 8. And there, a man called Jacob, uh, one of the patriarchs, son of Isaac, Isaac, son of Abraham, Jacob is praying over his boys. And all 12 of them line up to get prayed for. And when Judah comes to him to be prayed for, Jacob says this, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. 
Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub. Judah, you return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? Judah is a lion. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Judah, you're a lion, and one of your descendants... One of the sons of Judah, one of the little lions of Judah, is going to rule the nations. And that scepter will not depart. And when Jesus came, Jesus was born into the tribe of Judah. He's from the tribe of Judah. And here in Revelation, he is the lion of Judah that we've been waiting on. Don't weep. See, the lion of Judah, the root of David. David was from the tribe of Judah. And Jesus is from David. He's the anointed king. He's the giant slayer. All the things that God did through David you can reflect on to Jesus. He's the, he's the epitome of Judah. He's the fulfillment of Judah. He's like his father David. He's greater than David. Interesting, uh, we read in the letter to Philadelphia. These are the words of him who is holy and true and who holds the key of David. We read that of Jesus earlier on. So don't weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Why is that so important? Because these, this scroll is the whole of human history from then till Jesus comes back again. It's all the purposes of God written into this scroll. All the plans he has for your life are written in this scroll. All the plans that he has for his church, all the plans that he has for the world is written into this scroll. COVID-19 is in this scroll. He doesn't open it up and say, oh my Lord, I didn't know that was going to happen. No, it's there. The whole of it. And it's going to end with Jesus coming back and Jesus taking his church and we're going to be forever with him. But if this scroll is not open, we're in big trouble. So he weeps. John weeps. Nobody's able to open it. Now, it was a mighty angel that handed it to God. Not even a mighty angel can open this scroll. Who's going to open it? The lion's going to open it. See, 
see. So John turns. What's he going to see? Is he thinking, I'm going to see a lion? Or is he thinking, I recognize the symbolism, Lion of Judah, Root of David. He's talking about Jesus who has been described in chapter 1 as having eyes of blazing fire, feet of burnished bronze, uh, dressed in white. Is that what I'm going to see when I turn round? Here's the missing Jesus. He turns round to see this powerful, powerful person that is going to open the scroll and he sees what? A lamb. He doesn't even see a sheep. It's a lamb. It's a baby sheep. Looking as if it had been slain. What does a lamb look like as if it had been slain in some way it carries seems to carry the marks on its body that it has been brutalized that it has been killed and yet it only looks as if it had been slain because it's very much alive it's a dead lamb walking <laughs> praise god it's still got the marks. Do you know, will Jesus have these marks in heaven? Will he still have the marks in his hands and in his side? I hope so. I hope so because I, I love these marks. I can't remember the story, and I'm sure there are a hundred like it, where a, a child has asked its mum, how did you get... How did you get that scar? And it was given to her on the day she protected her child from the naked flame or from a boiling pan or from a stove. And it scarred her. And these are the marks of her love. I can't remember how the story goes, but I obviously heard it when I was about nine and a half and it stuck with me. These are the marks that say, I love you. I love you. I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. We're talking Passover lamb. We're talking about the lamb whose blood was put on the doors and on the windows of the house so that the angel of death would pass over and they would be saved and every year they would the Jews would celebrate Passover and they still do because that's about the lamb slain the it's Jesus it's the words of John the Baptist behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that's where this imagery is taking us to the sacrificial lamb meekness Humility, servanthood, sacrificial, even vulnerable. But I say even vulnerable because watch. This little lamb has got seven horns. This is a strong lamb. This is not a lamb as you know it. 
This lamb has got seven eyes, which are the sevenfold spirit of God. It's filled with the spirit. This lamb. This is not your ordinary lamb. Jesus is the lion and the lamb. And there's something really important for us to grasp here. He's not half lion and half lamb. He's all lion and all lamb. When I mention this to Pam, because sometimes I run my sermons before her just to see what she thinks, not that I care. I just do it anyway. But I like to just check it out. She said, that's just like, you know, he's not half human and he's not half God. And that's what I've got written down here, Pam. He's not half divine and half human. He's not 50% human, 50% God. He's all God. And he's completely human. Well, this, uh, this lion is complete lamb. This lamb is complete lion. Don't try to understand it. In fact, you'll go on a lot better with Revelation if you, you just don't try to understand it too much. Just soak it in and take it. But what do we have here with complete lion and complete lamb? We've got meekness and majesty. We've got powerful and almost powerless. We've got leader and we've got servant. We've got so much in this picture that in the world's eyes would be a contradiction. But it's not. And what it says to me this morning, and, and what I hope it will speak to you with is, you don't have to be a lion to be a lion. <laughs> when I shared that with Pam, she said, what? Uh, so I, I hope you get it better this time, Pam. I hope everybody else gets it. You don't have to be a lion to be a lion. Sometimes a lamb makes for a better lion. It's very interesting. It's not the lion that stands in the centre of the throne. You would think if you're going to put one of those on the throne, it's going to be the lion. He's the king of the jungle. He's the majestic one. He's the powerful one. He's the regal one. It's not the lion doesn't stand in the center. The lamb stands in the center of the throne. Just as a, an aside, that's a perfect example of what I mean when I say you don't have to understand everything because the question is how can a lamb stand in the center of the throne when someone is already sitting on a throne well you can do that in revelation you can do that how can a lamb who is standing in the center of the throne come and take the scroll from him who sits on the throne. If he's already standing in the middle of the throne, he doesn't need to come and take the scroll. 
But you can do that in Revelation. It's imagery, it's pictures with reality behind it. It's not the lamb, it's not the lion that stands in the centre of the throne. And do you know this? And I, and I think we're not, we're not being heretical when we say this. It's not the lion that they worship. They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men from God. And they sang this to the lamb that was standing on the throne. In a loud voice they sang, worthy is the lamb, not worthy is the lion. Not that the lion wasn't worthy, but this lamb is an amazing lion. <laughs> worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power. It's the lamb that's getting the power and the wealth and the wisdom and the strength. They worship the lamb. They sing about the lamb. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the lion and the lamb is Jesus. And I believe that we are told to be like Jesus. And that we have to be changed more and more into his image. So if he is the lion and the lamb, you must be the lion and the lamb. Like him, you must be a lion. And you must be a lamb. This is the church. The church must be lion. And it must be lamb. So, in the field of spiritual warfare, coming up against principalities and powers, forces of evil, spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places, we need to be lions. We need to come against that ferociously, aggressively, coming against the powers of darkness in Jesus' name. When we battle against our own sin and our own shortcomings and our own failures, we need to be lions. Paul says, I buffet my body daily. I punch myself daily. Now, he didn't mean physically. I don't believe he meant physically, like the Shia Muslims. He didn't mean that, but he says, in my spirit, in my mind, when I'm praying, I buffet my body. I say, come on, Ronnie, come on, come into line with the purposes of God. Come on, Ronnie, get your head up. Stop moping around and feeling sorry for yourself. Rise above it. Stop saying to yourself, Ronnie, I will always be like this. This is just me. No, you can change. Stop saying, well, that's just the way I've always been. That's my personality. Well, change your personality. Be a lion. I buffet my body every day. So we need to be lions. Are you a good lion? Are you a good lion? 
I don't want to come up to you as a lion and be able to say, oh, come on in, come on. Oh, lovely, lovely little lion. That's a pussycat. That's a pussycat. We need to be lions. But when we come to a hurting and a pain-filled humanity, we need to be lambs. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. I didn't come to judge the world. Uh, we, we get this wrong so often because there is judgment in the church. Right judgment. When you become a Christian, when you join, uh, when you are baptized into the church, at that moment in time, you become accountable for the way that you behave. If you behave badly, if you behave sinless, sinfully, if you behave in a godless way, it reflects on the church that you represent. And so time and time again in the New Testament, people were brought to account for the way that they were behaving. Why? Because they should know better. But the world doesn't know better. The world is in sin. The world has no connection with God. The world does not have that spiritual compass to guide them. The world is not submitting to the word of God. And so often they are hurting, they are alienated, they are bitter, they are angry. It may turn to violence. And, and we have to be lambs there. We have to get alongside the hurting. We have to feel their pain. You know, the drug addict that's homeless and addicted to heroin and alcohol. And we could say, well, do you know, life is about choices. You made the wrong choices and it's all your fault. And you've only got yourself to blame. Maybe that's not what they need to hear. Are you hungry? When I was hungry, you gave me to eat. Are you cold? Do you need a jacket? Do you need a blanket? When you were naked, when I was naked, you clothed me. In our ministry to the sick and to the dying, we need to be lambs to serve them, to love them, to care for them. Uh, we often picture the church quite correctly as an army. We think of uh, Ezekiel's prophecy when he uh, prophesies to the dead bones and they prophesy into the, the breath into them and they rise up a mighty army. We're the army of God. That's the lion speaking. But sometimes the church is a hospital. Uh, sometimes it's what do you call that place where when soldiers are wounded, they go to the, the military hospital out on the battlefield to be put together again so that they're able to be soldiers again, kind of rehabilitated. 
Sometimes we need to be a hospital and I think a lamb will work better in a hospital than a lion. So I guess we need wisdom to know when to be a lion and when to be a lamb because we are both. And Jesus did that. You know, here's Jesus picking, picking up Bartimaeus and saying, what, what, what do you want me to do, Bartimaeus? He said, well, Lord, I'd like to receive my sight. You see, he's being a lamb. He's getting alongside. He's feeling Bartimaeus' pain. But here's another scene when people are walking. Through. I know what you're like. You are whitewashed sepulchers. You're a brood of snakes. Oh, that's the lion in him coming out against the self-religious Pharisees and so forth. He knew when to be a lion, when to be a lamb. So we'll go into more of this uh, in, in detail in digging deeper, but I, I, I just want you to think about that and we'll discuss it in our Connect. Are you good at being a lion? Are you good at being a lamb? I suspect most of the time we find it harder to be lambs. We can get self-righteous and very critical and, and, and so forth. Maybe we find it harder. But then on the other hand, I think there are some people that make good lambs, but they're not prepared to be lions. They're not prepared to stand up for truth where they see it. So which are you? In conclusion, when was this lamb slain? John is writing about 60 years after the cross. When Jesus died under Pontius Pilate. Amen. But that was not when he was slain. Revelation 13 verse 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Before Jesus was even born in Bethlehem, he was the slaughtered Lamb. Before he was nailed to the cross, he was the slaughtered lamb. Because this is the God who was and is and is to come. This is the God of the perpetual present. He wasn't slain. Well, yes, he was slain on the cross. But if you hear me, he was slain in the heart and mind of God before the foundation of the world. So even as God is creating the world, and as Pam read this morning, God is saying, this is very good. In his heart, there's a heaviness because the slaughtered lamb. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? God didn't put in a rescue plan with Jesus. He didn't say, oh my word, I started making this world really well 
And man's mucked it up and spoiled it. I need to do something. What can I do? And Jesus said, oh, maybe I could help. Maybe I could do something. Oh, could you, son? Oh, that would be really great if you were to come. No, no, no. I don't understand it. But he was slain before the foundation of the world. He's always been the sacrificial lamb. He always will be the sacrificial lamb. Jesus was destined to be slain. He was destined to be the seal opener. And what he started, he will finish. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.